Welcome to the podcast for 1776 Forward. We're the grassroots movement that's crowdsourcing activism for the cause of philosophical liberalism. Stand up. Speak out. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our latest podcast for 1776 Forward. I'm joined by Joya and Adam tonight, and we are picking up for this uh, week's session on where we left off on our last discussion, um, talking about the why and the how of what makes this new movement uh, unique and why we felt it was necessary. And there was a question that came up in our discussion among the podcast hosts that uh, sparked some interest on the part of both Joy and Adam to dive a little deeper. Interest in myself too. I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Um, but for those of you who will watch that last episode, you may recall I had posed the question to the rest of my fellow hosts why it was that they felt that advocates of liberty were making less progress in the culture to advance our ideas and values relative to, say, the advocates of statism and collectivism. And uh, when I posed that question to the group, Adam posited a very intriguing notion that it was because the morality of altruism, as he defined it, uh, governed both sides of the political uh, spectrum, the left and the right, and that they were essentially both working towards uh, the same end. Uh, or at least that was the outcome of our politics. Uh, and Joya seemed to take uh, some pretty strong issue with uh, some of Adam's answer there. So that is what brings us to today's session, which we are uh, aptly naming the altruism grudge match, because we're going to have a, a little bit of a grudge match between Joya and Adam to tease out these questions of what do we mean by altruism? And is it really uh, the driving force behind our political culture today. Uh, so with that, why don't I open up and let's pick up where we left off. Adam, do you want to maybe, um, it may, I think it'd be helpful for those who might not have seen the last session for you to just kind of restate your answer to my question of why is it that uh, advocates of liberty haven't made as much progress in the culture? And you may be on mute, Adam. So just make sure to unmute yourself. All right, this works so much better when I'm unmuted. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Technology, yeah. Although I guess not everyone would agree. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Joya. So as I remember your question last time, it's not that different. It was, you know, why does society seem to inevitably tend towards uh, statism and authoritarianism, regardless of, of who's in power. Uh, you know, this seems inexorable for the past century or more. Yeah, and, that's the same thing, D different phrasing. Yeah. yeah, we mean the same point. And I suggest that this was because of altruism and we didn't, uh, we didn't get into it. We didn't define altruism. Uh, I take the definition of altruism from uh, the philosopher who coined it in the uh, 19th century, uh, Comte, who uh, 
who said roughly that the moral purpose of a person's life is to serve others, to live for the benefit of others. And, and I contrast it with egoism. Uh, the moral purpose of our lives is, is to live for ourselves, that we are ends in ourselves as opposed to uh, tools to benefit society or other people. And uh, this gets related to the idea of sacrifice, which I know from our pre-show talk, we're gonna discuss a little more later, but uh, you know, sacrifice in Ayn Rand's terms being the idea that one should give up a lesser value. Uh, let me start again, give up a greater value in exchange for a lesser value. Mm -hmm. uh, if, it, if, if, if we were giving up one value for another of equal or greater value, for instance, doing something for our children would not be a sacrifice. That would be that would be a trade or uh, an even exchange, or even uh, you know, if I trade my Amazon shares with 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 Chris for his Facebook shares, you know, we if if it's voluntary, we both think that we're uh, we're benefiting, right, one uh, way or another. A trade it could, of it could be one of us is mistaken, but that's another matter entirely. Right, right. In other words, a trade could, of, yeah, but but we can actually not. both we can actually both uh, benefit from such things, even uh, even if the prices go go with us or against us, because you know one of us may want something that's a little more uh, volatile, and one somebody one might want something that's maybe a little uh, steadier but uh, with less upside. So anyway, but this is I I I'm hesitant even about starting. The podcast off with this because this is a really controversial idea. Most people treat altruism as as a uh, synonym for benevolence and goodness. So the idea that I, altruism might be wrong or even evil is 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 quite foreign. Uh, Ayn Rand's point, well, she had a number of points which she phrases uh, more eloquently than I ever could. Uh, none of this is new to me. I'm, you know, I'm channeling her. So sometimes I'll quote her directly. Sometimes I'll paraphrase, and then I'll be doing sure. the best I can. But I'll surely get some things wrong. But you know, if we if we truly didn't have any sense of self, we wouldn't be able to survive in the world. We have to we have to be egoistic at least, so that we somehow manage to obtain, uh, you know, food, clothing, and shelter. Uh, nature doesn't provide us a living otherwise. So I'm, I'm going to just quote Rand now. She says, the basic principle of altruism is that man has no right to exist for his own sake, that service to others is the only justification for his existence, and that self-sacrifice is his highest moral duty, virtue, and value. So uh, she goes on, do not confuse it with kindness, goodwill, or respect for the rights of others. Those are not primaries, but consequences, which in fact, altruism makes impossible. So I could go on, but that's, that's, I think that's enough of an introduction. And uh, I know Joya has some uh, criticisms to make, so I'd love well, to hear from her. Well, and I'm and sorry, thank, Chris. Yeah, thank, thank you for that, Adam. And before, before I jump over to Joya, I just wanted to maybe go a little bit more in depth on, on your answer, because I think that's a great definition uh, uh, of 
the concept of altruism as you're using it. And also, as I noted at, at the intro, part of what sparked this conversation is, is the fact that that was your answer to this question of why has liberty made less progress in the culture or why does the culture trend inexorably towards, um, towards statism and authoritarianism um, regardless of who's in power. So my, one question I had is now that we kind of know what you mean by altruism, um, I think maybe part of the answer might even be contained in something you just said. But my question is, what what is it that makes you look out at the culture and draw that conclusion that that's that that's a commonality between the both sides of the political spectrum? Is it simply what you've just said earlier that that that's just kind of like the unchallenged uh, consensus or conventional wisdom of what morality, like in other words, that morality is equated almost with altruism and people, most people just don't even conceive of an alternative. Is that is that why you think that? Or is there something else maybe that you're looking at, um, you know, in the political or other cultural context that makes you conclude that why it's so universal across the political that, that is true. I mean, it's a tautology. It's universal because almost everyone accepts it. But, but I, I don't think I answered the question of why accepting altruism would lead to statism and, and authoritarianism. Fair and enough. it's, you know, lots of things that are straightforward in our own minds uh, aren't quite apparent unless we actually say them out loud. So if the moral ideal of each of our lives is the well-being of other people, which we could generalize and say the well-being of society, if, if you know, it, it, it would be chaos if each person judged for himself what was best for society. So we institute governments among men. Now, Jefferson said we institute governments to uh, protect our individual rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But another dominant philosophy is that government is instituted uh, you know, in perhaps a uh, unfortunate turn of phrase from the constitution to improve the general welfare. That means somehow to make everyone better off rather than allowing people to make themselves better off and thereby making everyone better off in the process. Uh, so, you know, if, if we agree that the purpose of each person's life is to sacrifice for others, we need someone to say who is to benefit and how much and to what degree and what mechanisms ought to be in place. So we say, you know, well, we ought, you know, I ought to provide for other people's health care. Well, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not prepared to do that. I wouldn't know where to start. But we can have this government. Government can prepare, can, uh, can do health care for everyone. Uh, you know, I'm obligated to provide for everyone's retirement, but I'm, you know, by myself, I couldn't do that. A government in theory, could provide for, for, for people's retirement, uh, for their uh, income in their old age if they didn't provide for it themselves. So, the, you know, there are all these ideas. The government is looked at, you know, like, like some all-knowing, all all-powerful parent figure 
it's it's a a combination it's a secular view but it, but but it comes it comes from religion the idea that uh, there is and ought to be someone to take care of us so maybe and go ahead no sorry didn't mean to interrupt finish your thought so so th does this make sense to you the way that altruism would lead to uh, statism? yeah i was just i was actually oh, and, you know, we, i'm sorry we didn't define statism by statism just to make it clear, I don't mean the existence of a state. I mean the existence of a state that controls all aspects of personal and economic uh, existence. Right. You know, a state that has a large role in society rather than a relatively small state that would restrict itself to protecting individual rights. I right. mean, I believe a state is is absolutely essential for human uh, well-being. I'm not. Right. I'm not any kind of an anarchist. Well, and I think certainly. Uh... Uh, by virtue of you being a, a, a podcast host for 1776 Forward, we make that point crystal clear in our manifesto even. Good. We are certainly for uh, a government that protects individual rights. So I don't think anyone, no one on this uh, podcast would mistake that from you. And that's why I use the term statism, because I think as an ism, as an ideology per se, um, that exalts the state as kind of the the entity of political concern and control. You know, that's what we meant. Um, but just to circle back, if I understood you correctly, then the link I think that you're making between this concept, let me know if I got it right, is, is you're basically saying because altruism is a tautology or, you know, a universal because it just is the default morality for most people, regardless whether it comes from religion or secular basis, um, that therefore that manifests then in people's uh, behavior and beliefs about what they ought to do or should do vis-a-vis uh, -vis their fellow man. And then because most of them, whether consciously or unconsciously, subliminally, sense that they may not be in the position themselves to solve all of those problems, they then inevitably default to kicking that responsibility to the state to determine these questions of, well, who should be the beneficiary of these sacrifices? Yeah, I think I think I used tautology in a confusing sense. I, I, I you know, just as soon, I, I don't think, I don't literally think that, that uh, altruism is a tautology. I was I was trying to say something else, but the important point is that once people believe that living for others is the moral ideal, then they have to believe that doing the maximum possible for others is the moral ideal, and the state is that agent that can in fact do the maximum for for others, and and also is is best place. I mean, if we don't allow individuals to judge what's best for themselves. You know, we couldn't. Uh, we we have no philosopher kings to do it. It would have to be uh, some kind of state, right? That would uh, that would make that judgment for us. You know, for good or for ill. In my view, mostly for ill, but that's another matter. Well, and therein is the provocative nature of your answer to my question, right? Which is that 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 actually, insofar as altruism is the primary, dominant, or even universal moral code, that that should be questioned. Um, well, there, there's, a, there's an interesting dynamic, you know, we see, I mean, we see, you know, our society has, has, has tilted left for a hundred years or more, or tilted towards statism, but, but, but actually, you know, worldwide, 
we see more of a balance. States tilt towards statism until they impoverish themselves when they don't really have the goods to give, and then they tilt towards capitalism again. So Sweden did this, it became very socialistic, and then they realized it was untenable, they became more capitalistic. Uh, the United Kingdom did this until Thatcher reversed things. So, you know, in a sense, it's the, you know, the capitalists that create the, the, the riches, the socialists dispose of them, and once they're gone, they call on the capitalists to create the riches again. So that's, you know, in some place, you know, we see this in the Soviet Union too. It, uh, you know, it was on a downward, downward spiral, spiral for 70 years. It finally collapsed. And then, you know, out of the ashes grew a variety of things. You know, some, some of the states uh, more free, some of them less. Mm -hmm. um, no, great, thank so, you. So, 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 so the, the point I wanted to make there is that, you know, even if you wanted to somehow just, you know, make society best off for the poor, the poor are best off in the society that, suspect, that, that respects individual rights and, and, that, and that promotes egoism rather than altruism because there's, that society is so much richer, the poor in that society are better off than the rich in authoritarian societies. No doubt. Um... And that is certainly a topic for, I think, that we could definitely go into in a different day, but... We might, we might mostly agree, but let's, let's hear from Joya if we can. Yeah, I was just going to say, thank you for that. That's a great um, uh, uh, exposition of your views. Uh, so with that, why don't we turn it over to Joya and... You know, Joya, when Adam first raised this answer to my question last last session, um, you had a strong reaction, uh, which ultimately uh, uh, even monikered the the grudge match uh, that we are having now. So I'm sure it will be a very friendly grudge match, but uh, nonetheless, you took issue with some of what Adam had to say. So without stealing your thunder, I'll just hand it over to you. Now that he's had a chance to explain himself, uh, do you still take issue? And if so, uh, what what specifically would you like to take issue with? Well, I'm going to start out by saying that I'm going to be ruthless <laughs> in the altruism <laughs> grudge match. Uh, but but definitely, this is a, a cheerful disagreement, and I hope that's even something that we're modeling in this conversation because it is part of our values, the, the marketplace of ideas, and the overarching concept that we all are better thinkers and better human beings when we can have disagreements and hash them out in, in what I like to call cheerful disagreement. And I really want to thank Adam for going into more detail and really explaining his position on this because I find that I definitely do agree with certain points that Adam is making. And then I have disagreements as well. So I'm going to start my disagreements even by pointing out that I find it interesting that when objectivists or, or others who follow Ayn Rand start talking about altruism, they always have to start by making the point that by altruism, I don't mean kindness or benevolence. And to point out that, that they wanna talk about what is Comte's philosophical definition. But that already is very interesting. The very fact that you would have to do that suggests to me that most people 
in the culture, when they're using the term altruism, they're using it to mean benevolence or kindness, that they're not Comptians or Comptites. I, I don't even know the name of what you call someone who follows <laughs> Compt because I really don't see many of them in our culture. So already there, I have a hard time accepting that that really is a major driving animus in the culture. But what I really want to talk about is even this idea of altruism. So the way that I understand Ayn Rand's point, whenever I hear Ayn Rand talking about egoism versus altruism, I want to start by saying I love that she takes this to fundamentals. She asks this fundamental, what should a human being live for? which is a great question. And honestly, it's the question that I'm asking myself all the time. People probably know that Huenica is my chosen name and that's what it means. It means what for. It is the question that I love to ask more than anything. So I love that Ayn Rand is going to this fundamental level. But I already think there's something confusing in the way that she often presents this because she describes it as a binary between egoism versus altruism. And then she'll define egoism as living for yourself versus altruism, which she'll talk about as living for others and then specify as sacrificing for others. It's interesting to me that already when we're talking about egoism as living for others, I found that when you say that to non-objectivists, that already that can be confusing because it sounds as though you're saying, we don't really need other people, we don't really need community, we don't really need relationships. And Ayn Rand is not saying that, but it's already to me a problem that, that objectivists always sort of have to make that point, that by egoism, we're talking about benevolent relationships, we're talking about healthy relationships that, that a proper way of living for others is living for yourself. So it, it already occurs to me that perhaps we could have a better framework or better terms for thinking about how do we actually achieve human flourishing and what is the actual integration between what I like to call autonomy and community between yourself and the relationships you have with others. So that's on the side of egoism. But then on the side of altruism, this is where, for me, the rubber really hits the road, and I have a really deep problem with this. And the problem is with Ayn Rand's definition of sacrifice. Because the way I see it, her definition of sacrifice is just wrong, factually, empirically wrong. It's not the dictionary definition. It's not what anybody means by the term sacrifice the way it has ever been used in the thousands of years of recorded history that we know about when people were definitely even sacrificing more than perhaps they even sacrifice now. So just to clarify again, Ayn Rand's definition of sacrifice, the way she describes it in Atlas Shrugged, as Adam pointed out, is giving up a greater value for the sake of a lesser value. But that's just not what sacrifice means. Sacrifice is always giving up a great value. I don't think you can have a sacrifice if you're not giving up something that is important. It is voluntarily giving up a value. But 
when most people use that term, I think there's often even uncertainty sometimes uh, between uh, between what, what would be the, the end of, of giving up your value. But oftentimes when people talk about sacrificing, they're talking about giving up a great value for the sake of even a greater value. So even let's just think about some examples. So let's say the, the religious example of Abraham who was asked to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And if you read that story, I'll say as, a, as an English major, as a literary person, it's a beautiful story. The story goes into detail of how long Isaac had, or how long Abraham had waited to have his son Isaac, how important Isaac was to him. Isaac meant more to him than anything on earth. And then God asks him to sacrifice Isaac. But the whole point of the story is that Abraham values God more than Isaac. Now, of course, you can certainly you disagree with whether or not that should be the correct value. I'm sure as an atheist, uh, you might point out that uh, it, it, you ought to value Isaac more than a, a notion of a God. But certainly for Abraham, in his context, given his value context, God was the greater value over Isaac. And I think we see this even in modern day uses of the way people use sacrifice. For example, I hear lots of people say even now that they make sacrifices for their family. But when they say that, what I hear is they are giving up things that are valuable, but it's because the family is even more valuable. So I, I would say my, my parents, I think would have proudly told you that they made sacrifices for my, myself and my sister. And they certainly gave up their time to run us around to all of our activities. They put in extra hours at work so that they could have the money to, and then they spent that money not on themselves, but to let us take piano lessons and dance lessons and theater lessons and go to Disney World. They were making sacrifices and that they were giving up something that was of great value, but it was certainly for something that was of even greater value to them, which was their family. Or even think about examples like when we hear that soldiers make the ultimate sacrifice. There is still this idea that they're giving up their lives, which of course a great value to give up, but there is a sense that they are doing it for a greater value. And of course, again, you could always argue like, is, is what they're giving up their life for a greater value? But my sense is that when people use the word sacrifice and, and think about sacrifice as a virtue, that it is giving up something great, but for the sake of something greater. And so I think there's already something problematic in Ayn Rand's whole approach to this issue, precisely because I think her definition of sacrifice in this way is just factually, empirically wrong. And I think we could use better, more accurate terms. And I hope that's even something that we do as part of this project, uh, is maybe to think about what would be better terms besides egoism and altruism, so I've already perhaps put forward the idea of talking about autonomy and community, but to me, that's even just a start. I think we could even do a better job to, to think about how we, we actually talk about these issues. What, what, what is the best way for individuals to integrate with groups and society in a way that maximizes human flourishing? And I just wanna add one last point to this conversation, 
that I think it's important to mention that Ayn Rand developed her ideas based on her experience as someone who left and lived through the horrors of Soviet Russia. She lived through the propaganda of people should sacrifice themselves for the sake of the state. And there, I think, people who were making that argument, the people who were perhaps making that argument in good faith and not just the opportunists you know, out to grab power, perhaps did have the conception that society, the whole, the state was greater than the individual. And I think we should be making an argument against that idea. I think that idea is wrong, that we shouldn't have self-immolation for the sake of the state. That's already a term that I think is maybe a better one that we could start using, that, that if what a certain side, our opponents, let's say, are advocating is self-immolation, that that is never a good idea. But I'm open to even saying, you know, what, what are better terms for thinking about how we properly integrate our own interests with, with wider interests? And one last point I just wanna to make to just connect this then to the conversation about what really are the cultural drivers. I think it's very interesting that currently in the 21st century, more people I would say actually do have at least implicitly a good better sense of integrating, let's say the personal with the social. My own background and observation in this is being a coach. So I've studied life coaching and recently I've gone on and got a certification in travel coaching and I'm now doing a really in-depth program in coaching flow. But through all this training, I've really been diving deep into studying the growth of what you could call the personal growth industry or the self-development industry. And interestingly, even since Ayn Rand has passed away in the early 80s, this industry has risen tremendously. Coaching has become perhaps one of the, the, the biggest growth industries right now in the 2020s. And people, I think, do have a good sense that personal growth is good, self-development is good, that focusing on your well-being in the long term is good. I find it fascinating that people within this community even start to know the Aristotelian term eudaimonia, and I hope even more people are going to start talking about the philosophy of eudaimonia and human flourishing. I see that as a really positive trend in the culture. I don't think the average person in America in 2020 is going to believe in any sort of way that we should have self-immolation for the sake of the state. But my sense is that perhaps the average person does have confusion about how to integrate the value of community and society with their own individual goals and needs. And I'll just end by saying that I'm hoping that this is a conversation that we can further with this, our 1776 Forward project. Well, thank you for that, Joya. That was uh, an equally uh, fascinating and 
just illuminating deep dive into your views on on the subject and and it actually helped me kind of better understand um well at, even with our manifesto uh in writing it we and, and as we've said in some of these podcasts we're very definitionally oriented so i think it's been extremely helpful to hear both of your definitions on this topic um several questions jump out at me listening to um to what you had to say, and I certainly don't want to steal all the time for for Adam to respond as well. Um, but I guess uh, one, I'll, I'll ask two quick questions: one clarification and one, um, you know, kind of uh, uh, explanation, if you will. Um, the clarification is: it sounds like when you am I correct in understanding that? that your primary disagreement is Ayn Rand's use of the word sacrifice because conceptually what she defines it as is different from how most people define it as and therefore that creates conceptual confusion or is it deeper than that and you actually are taking issue with her conceptual, whatever she calls it, whether sacrifice or self-immolation or something else, that you take issue with that concept as such and think that it's not a real phenomenon? Thank you for asking. That's a great question. So I would say definitely the former, that that by having what I think is factually empirically a wrong definition of sacrifice, it just adds conceptual confusion to our discussions and to our thinking. One of the bad effects, I think, is that it, it makes it easier to castigate people or criticize people um, unnecessarily, perhaps. I, I would say, um, from a positive perspective, I think the majority of people, I would say, are better intentioned. The majority of people, I would say, have some sense that they need to integrate both the value of their individual life and the value of society. And so having these, what I would consider wrong definitions, just adds unnecessary conflict and friction into our thinking and into our conversations and into our ability to work together and actually build a better society. So I think just, just it's always better to have conceptual mm -hmm. clarity to, to actually make sure we're, we're going out to achieve what we want to achieve. And then sure. can you just rephrase what the second point that you had was? Well, I didn't actually ask that, uh, ask that question yet, but I just, what triggered it, frankly, was actually your use of the example of the soldier, right? Um, because I think Ayn Rand herself was very clear in kind of delineating the phenomenon of what the soldier is doing from kind of uh, sacrifice as she defines it, right? She noted that in the soldier's case, probably because it, you know, properly defined, meaning a soldier of a, of a free nation like the United States, that they were fighting for a noble cause. She saw that as, as kind of a different moral realm, that action rather than self-immolation, if you will, right? So it's clear that because she was able to draw that distinction as you did, that the soldier was in, was, was in fact giving up his life for what he saw as an even higher value and one which she thought was actually properly a higher value, um, that she obviously saw this distinction, right? And so 
um, it just makes me wonder if perhaps this is more a uh, debate over semantics rather than substance in her conception here. Perhaps, but I would argue that the semantics do matter because I think we want to make a distinction between what the soldier is doing versus the self-immolators, if we're going to call them that. That, that having that distinction is useful and that, it, sure. as I said, it just adds, I would say, unnecessary friction, conflict, and argument because people do, I would say, I think people do have a sense that sacrifice can be a good term. So when you come out of the gate and say sacrifice is bad, it's wrong, and then you just have what I think Iran has this factually wrong definition, it, it just adds unnecessary disagreement and conflict and, and it's not helping us actually understand reality and build a better society. Fair point, fair point, um, and well taken. So then my second question, more explanation or letting you expound a little more um, is kind of picking up on that. You then, I think, made the next step in kind of your chain of, of, of ideas in saying, um, because sacrifice as most people use it and conceive of it can be a good thing, um, and that you think that's how most people do use it and see the concept and you know self-conceive of what it is they're doing in their own moral actions, um, that you didn't think that, that, I guess that's the crux of your disagreement with Adam, that you didn't therefore think that the altruism as he was using it, kind of the Ayn Rand um, self-immolation definition that that really was what was driving most people on both sides of the, the spectrum. So I guess my question would be, um, may, perhaps then if, if you hold that view, I mean, with, without totally, you know, taking the conversation in another direction, well then what clearly we continue to move in a uh, status direction culturally. So if you don't think that's what's underlying people's morality, but we know politics is, is ultimately shaped by morality. Um, do you see no kind of connection to the concept that Adam was, was introducing here of, of some kind of universal wrong moral uh, premise uh, that is shared in the, by many in the culture? Well, I guess I would say that I don't thus see any kind of universal wrong moral premise, but I'm gonna have an unsatisfactory answer, which is to say, I, I don't have a good answer for what is the driving force. My, of, of, so, so I would agree with Adam's point that we definitely see increasing statism on both the left and the right for over now the past hundred years since the progressive movement of the early 1900s. So this is a question then, what does drive that? And I would say I don't have yet what I would think would be a good answer to that, but just that I don't see it as being this, this concept of altruism. Fair but enough. I want so to hear the, more so, from Adam. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm about to turn it over to him, but it sounds like then um, you would not boil it down to kind of that uh, essential moral moral issue as kind of Adam put forward. Got it. And Adam, uh, now that you both have had a chance to really kind of uh, 
make your cases. What say you? Do you have a grudge on Joya's grudge? <laughs> well, first, I'm going to get on, bo on board with Joya's endorsement of coaching in an unusual way. We don't have a sponsor for our podcast, but I want to give a free plug to the by far most enjoyable TV show I saw last year. It's, uh, I'm not a sports fan, but it was about a sports coach. It's on Apple TV, it's called Ted Lasso. And I recommend everyone give it a watch. It was, uh, there's, there's one season available, it was popular enough, it's been renewed for two more. And I can't say anything that would do it justice. Just watch and get back to me. Uh, regarding the uh, issue of definitions, I don't think it's interesting to argue about definitions. I think we should argue about concepts. We can try and change names for things and, and come up with names for things. The, the issue I wanted to address was whether we should live for ourselves or live for others. I think politicians regularly do call for sacrifice and what they mean is in fact making one's own self less well off for the benefit of some abstraction, you know, some group of society, somehow some part of society as a whole that doesn't necessarily include me because I'm being asked to make myself worse off. The most quotable example of this was uh, President Kennedy when he asked us, uh, do not ask what, you, what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And uh, FDR and Reagan and, and most other presidents have done the same thing. I, I can remember, uh, President Carter asked us to turn our thermostats down. Uh, other presidents have asked us to use less water, although they never explained to me what using less water would possibly, what benefit that would possibly have to anyone. Uh, but, you know, sometimes just, just the idea of sacrifice, we're now asked to... Uh, Never mind, I was going to give an example that would cloud more than it clarifies. So the uh, I did not remember, Joya, that your your taken name uh, means what for, but that's that's exactly the question Ayn Rand asks about what she calls altruism. If we are to live for the sake of others, why? I mean, you know. The, the it's not difficult to conceptualize that we are ends in ourselves. The idea that we ought to live for others while almost universally held is not at all obvious. It's universally held because it's, it's inculcated in us from childhood, uh, you know, for the past few thousand years from uh, religion, mostly Christianity, but now it's uh, secularized. And, you know, the, the, I mean, the communists were atheists, but they still, you know, wanted, uh, wanted us to live, well, they wanted uh, the people unfortunate to live under their regimes, to live, you know, for the sake of pro the proletariat, for the sake of the community, for the sake of the state, for the sake of uh, Mother Russia, 
or, uh, or for China and Mao or the party or some abstraction that uh, always ended up making their lives worse. I wouldn't, uh, I wasn't sure if you were criticizing Rand for having grown up in communism and using under communism and using that. I mean, I would say having lived under communism and capitalism that gave Rand much greater insight into the value of capitalism and the value of freedom. You know, and, and in fact, you know, she lived under under the czar before she lived under the communists and the Kerensky regime. So she had relative freedom there and she contrasted it with uh, the much lesser freedom under uh, under Lenin and then the much greater freedom, but still not absolute freedom she enjoyed in the United States. So uh, I also have to note that the uh, some countries and religions do in fact espouse this uh, ultimate sacrifice. That, that's not the term you use, self-immolation. The, uh, the 21 9-11 hijackers were, 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 were fully practicing this philosophy. They had nothing to gain for themselves, but they were gaining for their God, gaining for their religion, gaining for some, some abstraction but uh, clearly they were sacrificing themselves. And it's, uh, it's a pernicious and harmful ideology and, and I have no problem calling it evil. And I think we have to get past terminology and talk about actual philosophies. And I think most Americans would have trouble agreeing that they should live for themselves and those they value, their loved ones, and that the individual is and ought to be the primary beneficiary of his own efforts. And uh, not just most Americans, but, but most people worldwide. And this is, this is in contrast to the philosophy of Aristotle and the Greeks who looked at the world quite differently. So it sounds like, Adam, that's a pretty, pretty clear statement that you are sticking to your, your position that altruism is, uh, you know, and some notion of... Uh, yeah, now, now I agree. I, I agree with Joya that, that a lot of people don't really have a clear idea when, when they talk about altruism. They do mean goodwill and benevolence and kindness. And that's fine, but that's not actually what the term means. And we need, we need a term. I don't think we are going to be successful in using this uh, self-immolation term to replace it. So I think we just have to be clear. And, and you know, that's why I tried to give a definition when I started, just to make sure that we were talking about the same thing and not simply arguing about definitions. Sure, sure. And... You know, I think you made you have made clear again, circling back here, um, a point that I observe certainly, uh, which is um, even if we grant kind of Joya's position that many people may be confused on the topic or colloquially in their own lives, don't mean altruism or sacrifice in the way that Ayn Rand did. It's I think you're right that almost without exception, the political leaders in our culture and, and not just in America, but around the world 
are constantly using a much clearer notion of give, making yourself worse off for the sake of usually the state, but or some other, you know, group that the state has has decided to elevate. Um, that that is that is definitely pretty universal. So um, perhaps Joya, maybe you, maybe you want to add. Let, let me, yeah, let, let me just just get one uh, thing in here. I would never accuse a politician of being clear. I think <laughs> I think they, uh, for the most part, they take advantage of of the dual meaning, and they like they like to 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 say one thing and mean something in specific, so unspecific, so that they can claim in one context it meant one thing, in one context it yeah, meant another sure. thing. And sure. this, this is something Ayn Rand called a package deal. And understood. She, she criticized heavily. Yeah, understood. But I think you still touch upon an important element, which is um, we, we all know politicians are duplicitous and package deal concepts for the sake of gaining power. But we as voters, especially in a relatively free system, democratic system like the United States, could certainly put an end to that if we wanted to. And this gets into- oh, we, we get the politicians we deserve for exactly. sure. Exactly. Yes. And so this gets into, I think, a real phenomenon that you have hit upon, which namely, uh, and you said it earlier, even this kind of almost defaulting to politics or this the government as, as kind of the means for people to realize upon this, this aspect of altruistic morality. Maybe the answer is, because insofar as this, this notion of making yourself worse off for the sake of others is inculcated in everyone, but that it is not practiced as Joyas is observing in people's practical daily life, that they are kind of kicking, kicking by default that they're kind of, um, uh, you know, kind of, uh, giving off that uh, moral duty to the state, almost, if you will. Um, maybe that's partly what's going on, but I wanna turn it over to Joya to see if based on what Adam has said, you know, do, do some of the distinctions he's drawn, do you, do you agree with that? Or, or do you still think that, that the definitions matter for, uh, for us to come to a proper understanding of this? Maybe perhaps, um, if I, if I might even think ahead to, for you, maybe perhaps some of this confusion from both the politicians and the people comes from this confusion about how to integrate autonomy and community in, a, in the context of a free society, um, but I'll let you answer. Thank you. So I'm definitely going to agree with Adam that uh, I would never accuse a politician of clarity. And unfortunately, I think confusion is what I would say the average American has about these questions of the value of the individual and the value of society. To put this in the most positive perspective, I would say most Americans have some sense that, that uh, you know, their own lives are important. When I was talking about how people value personal growth, um, the, the fact that you know that we, we can talk about our well-being that that's uncontroversial I would say in America in the 21st century even the concept of healthy boundaries is always an interesting one to me because I find that even people on the left have very good ideas about healthy boundaries when it's about you know let's say avoiding to toxic relationships with other individuals 
but they never think about the healthy boundaries you need when it's the toxic relationship you have with the state. (laughs) So, and I think that there is value to other people. There's value to your family. There's value to your friends. And there is real value to society that we live in a trader capitalist system where other people are creating the goods that make life more abundant and wonderful, there is a real value to society. And I would say even from an evolutionary perspective, so even if, even if we're going back to sacrifice thousands of years ago, think about the examples when tribes would sacrifice seven virgins to the volcano or, or something like that. And, and there was an idea that you, know, you were part of a tribe and that tribe was going to, uh, you know, exist beyond yourself, but there'd even be sort of a, a, you know, our, what our current understanding of genetics is that we would have a drive to say, okay, my genes are going to survive on in my tribe, especially if my tribe really is just my extended family. And so there might be some value in giving up my own life if it means my genes and my tribe are going to go on. We certainly even see that in the animal kingdom that that many animals, the, the, the parent animals will willingly sacrifice themselves and put their own lives in danger if it means that their children or their grandchildren will get to go on and, and further the, the gene pool. So I think my observation is I think most people have some understanding that you know my own life is good and relationships are good and society is good, but ultimately I would say there is confusion. And unfortunately, perhaps I would say the people who are most power hungry can often prey on that. They can prey on what is good about people's compassion and their thoughtfulness of other people in a way that ultimately is damaging to them as individuals and ultimately even damaging to society as a whole, which is precisely why I would say I think we do need better terminology, terminology that will make clearer distinctions to help people figure out how do I integrate the values of my own life with everyone else? How do I think about the healthy boundaries for myself and how that actually manifests in how I build relationships, both one-on-one with friends and family and with society as a whole? Thank you, Joya. So is it fair to maybe rephrase, paraphrase quickly that sounds like you are saying that you think insofar as this phenomenon exists uh, of kind of the trend, you know, for statism, insofar as that is driven at all through this moral question of altruism, it sounds like you're coming down more on the side that that is born out of the conceptual confusion, at least Americans, we'll stick to the American context here, that Americans have on this, this, these dual values versus rather than um, necessarily a wholesale endorsement uh, consciously of the philosophy of making themselves worse off for the sake of the state or you know some lesser value. Is that a fair way of summarizing? Well, so here's the interesting thing. I think many people would believe that they should make themselves worse off for the sake of society, the state, 
and see the state as being a higher value. But I think part of what drives that is a kind of confusion, because even the people who would probably argue that and act for that in a certain sense would not be consistent with that. They would right. certainly be egoist in terms of making sure they eat well and provide for mm -hmm. their kids, and then at the same time be doing something that contradicts that. And so even that contradiction suggests to me that, that there is real confusion about how the average person thinks about integrating their, their life with the lives of other people. And, and hopefully this is where I think even liberty values are so beneficial because, because we understand that society ought to be based on traitor relationships and that society can be win-win relationships. I think a lot of people don't really even grasp that fact. I think a lot of people are they, so I, I talk about the creator-trader network versus predator-prey, and yeah. most people do not have that distinction. They don't realize that we don't have to be predators and prey. So that even starting to make some of these distinctions, I think, would help people grasp how they can be both acting for their own values and for wider society, and that these things do not have to contradict or, or come into conflict with each other. But I would just sum this up to say that I think using terms like altruism um, or sacrifice, especially with what I think is Ayn Rand's factually wrong definition, just confuses the issue even more. And it's making it so that people aren't even able to hear what they're saying because they're hearing altruism and thinking about benevolence and kindness and they're hearing sacrifice and it doesn't mean giving up a greater value for a lesser value. So they can't even get get beyond that oftentimes to, to perhaps hear what a good message could be. No, that thank you for that clarification. Yeah, because I was going to say, even in my own experience, I encounter, I feel like I encounter many people of the persuasion that you note of um, where they do see it as a good and argue for making themselves worse off for the state. Um, interestingly enough, uh, I also happen to note how many of those people that I do encounter with that view practice that seeming contradiction, as you noted, versus their own personal life, which seems much more selfishly motivated versus kind of the politics they they advocate. And personally, you know, I, 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 I probably come down more on the side of Adam's interpretation of what underlies that contradiction or motive. Um, uh, but you pose a very interesting alternative, which is that uh, perhaps it's, it's less having to do with um, perhaps not practicing consistently a conscious moral code that they hold and more just a just more fundamental conceptual confusion. Um, well, can I just jump in and say, I think that is precisely the problem. They, they don't have a consistent moral code that if they had a consistent moral code, it would integrate and it would be based on these ideas where we would recognize that there doesn't have to be conflict in human relationships, that pursuing your own individual values and pursuing what's good for society is and can be a harmonious whole, and that that ought to be what your mm -hmm. conscious morality is, but that certainly people don't have that. Right. In that sense, Adam and I definitely would agree, I think. Yeah, no, no doubt. And I think that's a great plug even for our, our movement. And, you know, we I think that is a key point that we try to emphasize. It's one of the 10 key themes we talked about in our manifesto, namely this uh, this notion of the creator-trader proper ideal of society versus the fret or prey, because I think you're right. I think most people 
for whatever reasons, do still start from a predator-prey premise or kind of metaphysical worldview, and, and from that confusion flows so many other ill effects. So may, maybe that in and of itself is somewhat of an answer to, to this question that I originally posed. Um, I know we're basically at the end of our time, but Adam, you know, any last thoughts um, to what Joya just, just noted? I just want to agree. I think one improvement I've seen, I've seen in society over the years is people are more self-aware, more cognizant of, of, of boundaries. Uh, that's, I hadn't thought of putting it in, in, in those terms. I guess we are less self-aware in terms of politics. That is, you know, we, we formed into tribes and we can't imagine that anyone who disagrees with us is anything other than evil or an idiot uh, in, in political terms. But in personal terms, we're much, uh, we're much better off psychologically even if we engage in things like codependency, we can recognize it and name it. It's, uh, the world's better in a lot of ways and uh, I'm happy about that. Well, can, I jump, can I jump in and say, I want to agree with Adam. And I think that's exactly right. The very fact that mindfulness is a word that most people know nowadays. I, I see that as part of this trend of the rise of personal growth and self-development. And, and it is a way in which I agree that our, our culture is better. And I'll just point out, I think there is a real reason why people start with the predator-prey premise, which is that we are predators. That's part of what it is to be alive. As human beings, we have to be predators off of plants and animals in order to survive. And certainly as societies have developed that it was a, a legitimate, effective, short-term way to survive, to, to band with your tribe and then to predate on the other tribe. And we, I mean, we, we see that happens with primates and we see that that happens in, in human tribes throughout history. And it really is, I think, a development to realize that we can go beyond predator prey in our relationships with other human beings. I think it was the enlightenment thinkers who were the first to really start to grasp that we don't have to be predator preys with other human beings. And in fact, society works better for everyone when we get rid of the predator prey approach to dealing with human beings and approach other human beings as creators and traders. But history shows that it took thousands of years for the enlightenment thinkers to start to realize that. And that unfortunately, I don't think the majority of people ever really grasped it because sadly, I think we are perhaps starting to lose it. So that's what makes this project, I think, so important right. to, well, to really clarify these ideas even more and help people recognize this possibility. Yeah, no, thank you for that clarification. I, I, it kind of goes without saying, or I was assuming uh, the benefit of yours and my many years of conversations where I think we kind of, uh, you know, articulated this, this concept and this, this, um, alternative of the creator-trader model versus the predator-prey model. My whole point was just that notwithstanding the 
very legitimate evolutionary and historical basis for the predator prey model and human understanding of, of kind of our society. Uh, we, ha we have had the benefit of now of 500 years of post-enlightenment development and progress. So you would hope or think that in 21st century America, less people uh, would be still operating under that predator prey premise, seeing the benefits of the alternative model all around us. But as you noted, perhaps in part because of the over 100 year trend now kind of backsliding away from that ideal, less and less people seem to grasp that distinction. So that is certainly one of our goals with 1776 forward, um, uh, as are you know some of the other ones that that Adam and you both noted. So this has been a great discussion. I would I guess in judging it, I would say you both are still somewhat in your corners, but you landed some good blows. Uh, for your sides, and I think also managed to uh, persuade the other to some of your positions. So all in all, I, I would say uh, we definitely gained a much better understanding of this this issue um, and how how we here at seventeen seventy six forward are seeking to provide some of this this moral and conceptual clarity if we can. Um, as you all out there who are listening and watching are thinking through these issues. So thank you, okay, Joy uh, and Adam, for your time. And we look forward to seeing everyone back on our next podcast session. That's it for you. now. Take care, oh, everyone. Chris, did thank you, you tell us the next one's going to be a rap battle? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. going to be all you, Adam. You're going to do the rapping all by yourself. I I oh, good. Unless I'm we can do some Hamilton. Guaranteed to lose. I was we can do some Hamilton. I, I'll jump in. Exactly. Well, thank you all. Bye for now. Ciao. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join in the conversation, you can become a member for free and join our 1776 Forward community on Locals.com. See you there.